Welcome to Diving Into Crypto. Diving Into Crypto. A weekly series where thought leaders share insights, strategies, and insider stories about all things crypto and Web3. Brought to you by Adlunum. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. This is JP from Adlunum INC bringing you everything about Web3. On this show, we speak about everything, as I said, in the Web3 space. We will talk to the movers, the shakers, the candlestick watchers, and everyone in between. And this show has comes to you from Adlunum INC, which is the industry's first NFT integrated engaged to earn seed crowdfunding and IDO launchpad, which works on a proof of attention allocation model. If you find that interesting, visit our website for more details or send us a message on the Twitter handle at adlunuminc for more details. Before we begin, I'd like to remind our audience that you have reaction buttons, which you can use whenever you hear something fantastic from the speaker, something that resonates with you. Feel free towards the end of the program to send in questions that you might have for the speaker, which you can send to Adlutum INC or to the speaker directly, and we'll have them answered on the show. In case we get cut off, go back to the Twitter handle at Adlutum INC for the new link. And keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that views expressed on this program belong to that of the speaker and is meant for education purposes only. It's not to be thought of as financial advice. That being said, I'm extremely, extremely happy to have on the show today, C. Ansley from Legacy. He is somebody that was introduced to me online a couple of months ago when I was at uh, Eat India. And uh, a common, uh, common friend of ours uh, told me, hey, you know, if you're, when, you, when you head back, you, you got to check out what C is doing. He's got some uh, fantastic stuff happening. And while we were in touch, we finally managed to meet up at the Digital Nomad uh, program, the creator, uh, the creator program that they had very recently. And I was so excited to, to finally see him in the flesh and have him invited on the show. And, I'm so, and more importantly, he's just back from a trip and he's agreed to be on the show today. So C, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for accepting to make some time to be on the show today. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me and for your kind words. Good to be here. Fantastic. See, let's let's dive right into it. I understand that you're a lifelong impresario and an early adopter of not just crypto, but everything tech. But you also have a wide range of interest from music and art and 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 tech, uh, surprisingly. And you you've widely traveled. Tell us a little about that, if you can distill that, uh, a little about your background and what got you here today. Okay, sure. So uh, first off, I'm a tri-national. I'm a Canadian New Zealander uh, born in Britain. I grew up in Singapore. Uh, and in the 1980s, my father was one of the first at his business to, to introduce uh computers to the industry. So in 1984, we had uh, both an IBM PC and we had one of the earlier Macs that never really seemed to turn on or work. Um, and then back in the floppy disk day where you'd run to a store and, and, and try to get it working, sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. 10 years later in 94, I, I received my first 14.4 uh, 
uh, modem for the internet and got online in, 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 at the end of 94 and then spent uh, many years after that familiarizing myself with, with the internet and being inspired by its potential. Um, I was on it every day. I was on uh, one of the earlier users of ICQ and Yahoo Chat um, uh, using Netscape Navigator. I got to witness the, the dot-com boom and bust, even though I was in no position to really take advantage of it. I was still quite a young one by that point. Um, and in 2000, I sort of needed to uh, reinvent myself and then uh, change my name uh, or what I was referred to, to my initials, SEA. Founded a company called uh, Universal Metropolis that specialized in, well, not even specialized, but uh, we threw music uh, events and festivals and um, I was DJing at the time. At the same time, through Universal Metropolis, I, I became a professional web designer and web developer and, um, and bought a, a little book on PHP, read the book, uh, tried and failed for a few months, probably until I got, the, got past the learning curve. And then uh, that was the beginning of becoming a, a senior programmer, PHP, my sequel. Um, developed, uh, Jess, I was so inspired, like... Um, I. Coming up with a concept and being able to design a web page and being able to design a prototype, I designed dozens and dozens and dozens of different sites. Um, one of the, the things that I built was while I was programming, I really liked listening to internet radio. This is uh, late 2000, 2001. Built this radio directory just for myself and my partner at the time to listen to internet radio. It was at umfm.net. Um, uh, and check the stats a few months later, and I couldn't believe how many people were were tuning into it. Like, I, I, I really had no comprehension of it. And um, then we started developing our own in-house shows. Uh, by its peak, it reached 10 million uh, hits a month, which is just outstanding to me. And I had no concept of monetization at the time, but um, most of my projects have been sort of like that, built out of passion. Um, I, it's much easier to do when you've got a, a genuine love for something and... Um, Usually everything else takes care of itself. Um, so that's on the tech side. I also and, and travel since I was a, a kid. My my father was a busy businessman. We never really saw him around, but um, through him we got to travel quite a lot. He was more sort of the mathematician and the the business guy, and he was the one that introduced us to computers. While my mother was the creative, she had a, a casting agency. She was the director and producer of musical theater in Singapore. Um, she pushed me into music. I always had musical instruments and re always recorded these really crappy recordings as a kid that um, she would then send off to her music industry friends and we wouldn't really hear back. And um, and I sort of matured. I had a sold out rap album in Singapore and, and a couple of big shows there uh, in 92. And then I got into Metallica and started playing guitar in, in 93. Um, my first uh, volunteer event for a festival was uh, Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails in 94. So I've been in professional music for nearly 30 years. Um, and and in the middle of this all sort of like a busy music life and a, a full-time technology life, I had a 10-year sports career and um, won quite a few championships as a, as a manager and a player. And, and on the state championships, I worked in professional baseball towards the end of... Um, that decade uh, for it in the Australian Baseball League as a stadium PA commentator, or sorry, stadium announcer. Um, and I've only recently realized just how many things I pulled off at once, because now I'm quite exhausted thinking about all of that. 
So that, I hope that in a nutshell sums up uh, technology, sports, music, and art. Wow. All, all in one package. And, and we, we haven't even, we're not looking back at, you know, a, a lifetime. I mean, but that's, that's a number of lifetimes in that 30 years that you've been speaking about. That's incredible. It, it's exhausting. Yeah. But um, interesting, though, life has been a magical adventure the, the entire time and continues to be, I think. And knowledge is everything. It really is driving for us. Uh, I agree. I agree. I mean, and you know, the, the beauty is you're not done yet. I mean, you you found Web three now, and you you're in the in the space and in this industry. But tell us at at which point through all this that you were working through, when was it that you said, "Hey, you know what? Web three is the space to be for me." Well, first, it, well, it was cryptocurrency that that got me into it, and I th- I think it was. I, to me, I feel like I got into crypto quite late, considering everything else that I, I sort of uh, feel like I've been an early adopter at the beginning. And so uh, it, it, 2017 was the first time that I really, I started really paying attention. I, I went to the, uh, I think it was the Bitcoin Center in Melbourne, Australia, where I was living at the time. And there was some Ethereum meetup. And I, I, I don't know what drove me to go this particular day. Uh, but I went and I, I was absolutely blown away. The, the, I think Ethereum was about $50 at the time. Um, and I had heard about uh, Bitcoin maybe as early as 2013 when I think some friend mm-hmm. loosely asked me if I was interested in any and I didn't really know what he was talking about. Um, and then it was mentioned again a few years later, but it was 2017 um, on the cusp of some uh, some of the biggest changes in my life, um, uh, winding down my Melbourne time that and once I went, I, I, it, it opened that rabbit hole that I'm sure uh, most of us have gone through, that once you learn a little bit, it's sort of an infinite um, lessons and research after that. So, um, yeah, so, so that's when I got into crypto uh, and it was the disruptive potential of, of blockchain as well as the, for the first time in my life, like uh, I've never had much of a relationship with money. Like I've, I've been driven by passion. I've always made enough to 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 survive and to you know to have sort of modest comforts and you need you know you need money for a flight for rent and stuff you find a way but it wasn't until uh, i learned about crypto that i I was able to start saving cash and and really saw the importance of um sort of uh, wisdom with with money and and understanding it properly because it's something that's not taught in school i think even to this day is not really even taught in school um so a- after crypto, then then Web three was um, obviously a natural uh, progression after that, um, and I became because right away, okay, so Ethereum that that was very interesting, but then I saw all these other projects that were coming up in twenty seventeen, um, yeah. and the, the 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 vast disruptive societal potential. Uh, it it just was it was very consistent with what's been important to me my whole life. Uh, between uncensorable content uh, to banking the unbanked uh, to truly private communications and then everything else that's come about it. I thought, wow, this is our opportunity in society to use technology for the greater good. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's been exciting ever since. It's been about six years now. um, And I I keep learning more every day. (laughs) Yeah, the landscape keeps keeps changing, right? Every time you think you've got a finger on the pulse, you know, there's there's a different vein that's just come through. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it seems like society or the, at least the, the industry media only focuses on one topic at a time. 
you know, so everything's yeah. gone through its, its buzz and hype stage. And I think more recently we're seeing what could be the, the, um, the effects and impact of artificial intelligence on everything we've already learned about Web3. So that's been that's been exciting. I don't know how quantum computing is going to sort of where how that's going to play in, but I'm curious to see what else of upcoming technology between now and then uh, is in the pipeline. Yeah, uh, AI obviously seems to be the the first one that's that's getting a lot of uh, what do you say the, the the kind of attention that VR gave to the metaverse, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. and it seems that you know there's this this is entire rabbit hole that's that's opening up in which there is so much to dive into, so much to look down at, um, and, and also new projects that are coming up using using AI, right, um, in, in the Web3 space very specifically. So, yeah, so interesting times ahead. Just, it, it's, just it's interesting is the word, isn't it? It's like, and when you follow sort of closely in the industry, there's sort of drama and surprises and, and, and new ideas and inspiration every day. True, 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 true. Um, I, I want to circle back to one part, though. See, what, what you said before about, you know, you're, you're, you're driven by passion. Uh, and needless to say, there is uh, a, a lot of passion when it comes to what you current, what you're currently focused on, what you're currently working on in the Web3 space. So what is it that keeps you passionate about being in this space, being in the, the Web3 space as a whole? I, th I think it does come back to that initial impact of, of the potential societal disruption of the technology and the, the opportunity to see it through in the best way I can through my day-to-day -day involvement to at least uphold the ideals of what this whole movement was supposed to be about. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and while I'm, I, I'm working on uh, the projects that I'm, I'm involved in, it's, I think that's the opportunity to, uh, to progress that. And, and continue to an eye on the pulse of, of what's happening. Um, right. And, and then sort of like a, on a life sort of matter, like it's, it's a very prosperous uh, time. It's a very exciting time. And um, so that helps passion too, when, when everybody else is excited and, and thirsty for knowledge and up for sharing and for learning. Um, but at my own stage of my life, like I, I really have humble ambitions to have my own little plot of land in nature off the grid somewhere a home-built geodesic dome and studio and things and and so i see these next few years as working hard in the space to help make those dreams a reality the rest of life dreams so the fact that it's interesting and exciting um there's disruptive projects that there's projects that could truly uh, be set up to do well uh for for the the, the parties involved um that's definitely keeping me passionate and involved. Mm -hmm. Super. Okay. So there's, there's of course, uh, passion in terms of where the connection with the dreams, in terms of the, the tech that's that's new, that's that's changing every day. It's a different vein, uh, and and we're seeing that. That's what that's what that what is the one that works for you. That's brilliant. Okay. So I've I've. We, I think we're beginning to understand a little about, you know, the, the engine behind C, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and how he's making the waves that he is. Um, so, okay, that being, that being said, um, you've worked on, through multiple industries, you've worked on, of course, one of the most interesting things that, you know, when we had this conversation you were telling me about was, was of course, working on, on internet radio. And uh, I, I can't help but think that there are so many correlations between 
when you're working on a new project in Web3 and having looked back and seen the kind of community that you built uh, earlier, right? What are some of the differences? What are some of the challenges when it comes to when it comes to looking at community building and getting people to to plug into the music you're playing? Uh, of course, I don't mean that literally. I mean, you know, from from uh, your 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 upcoming um, your your upcoming projects, your upcoming passion that you that you're sharing at this point. And we haven't we haven't got to that yet, but I'm going to dive into that in a few. Okay, sure. Yeah, good question. So, one. Times have changed from 20 years ago. So I, I, I built Universal Metropolis and its community from 2000. And most of the world wasn't even online then. So it was sort of a novelty, but you still needed some, some level of privilege to, to be able to access the internet, privilege being based on your location and, and close enough to um, systems that even had working and affordable internet. So uh, community building back then, it was exciting uh, at the beginning of the 2000s. The rave scene was sort of... Uh, winding down and going from underground into clubs and and there was a transition between sort of those live physical experiences and then into more virtual ones um, such as online forums and and internet radio um, not dissimilar from sort of the the recent last few years of uh, moving uh, into the metaverse for example um, and uh, building a community like we had over 10,000 registered uh, users um, uh, in the city scene for, uh, forums that we built, and but I th I threw everything at it. So it was Universal Metropolis. It was the idea of a a universal city and clear a, a universal metropolis where everybody was welcome and everybody could be a part. Sort of like some some utopian dream. But what what's in a city? Everything's in a city. Uh, right. uh, we had radio. We had city radio, and that was UMFM. We had a magazine like an e-zine where then people that posted in the forum, I could click a button and publish it to the article. We had tokenomics before tokens. So if your article was published, you would get, say, 20 UM dollars. We had avatars that, uh, that my girlfriend at the time was, would design, and you could spend your UM dollars on that. We had a transportation system. We had a live virtual events before all the 3D and VR stuff. Um, and because it was so I guess imaginary or imaginative and and different and cutting edge back then, people were very inclined to check us out and 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 sign up and, and get involved. Um, whereas now, er, almost right. everyone is online. Everything is so oversaturated and and everything. There's nothing really. I wouldn't say new, but you know, it it is a lot of proven formulas and regurgitated concepts and. Um, so what I found, and, and I did try to do it, so uh, UMFM with 10 million hits a month and, and between all the sites, we were doing super well. When I left Melbourne, uh, sorry, when I left Toronto at the end of 2005, I got, to, I, I arrived in Melbourne. Um, I, I continued things going for a little while. Uh, I was offered to, to help manage this national hip hop TV show called Heavyweight TV based out of Melbourne. And that focus right. sort of took me away from UMFM and UM, and plus I'd moved to a new country, a new continent. Um, right. But then when heavyweight sort of uh, fell, sort of fell apart, it was it was very overambitious, and I, I tried to recreate my successes of U, uh, UM and UMFM um, with God and She or Gashi for short, which was magazine and events and and radio and stuff, but. Be, with with an eye towards monetizing it, because I'm like, wow, if I, if I can just if I can recreate what I'd already done, 
um, right. with with same monetization and um, and and learning all the, the, the well the, enabling all the business dis, uh, lessons that I'd I'd learn. Um, I thought, wow, I could do pretty well. But the thing is, the author, the authenticity wasn't the same. And also, six, seven years later, it was already starting to get oversaturated. Like MySpace was huge, and Facebook was emerging. So that was, I guess, that was a lesson learned. We can't just recreate sort of the successes of the past. Um, and also, the motivation behind it can be quite apparent. I think. Yeah, um, um, I would think yes. That, that certainly is is interesting to when you when you look at the story arc of you know how did it work in one place at one time with a group with a community, and when you try to replicate that across to to other communities in different places, it's not always going to be the same. Uh, there is going to be some you know we're taking away taking away from from the lesson that you've just shared. Uh, there is going to be a, a large amount of difference. There's going to be different factors that come into play, and pivoting, of course, to to create that success is going to be uh, maybe re maybe requiring a new set of uh, a new approach, for example. Uh, you know, uh, different understanding uh, for for another. But uh, yeah, so don't use the same formula. Don't expect that the same formula is going to work every single time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, like, so right now, trying to uh, develop a, 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 a organically develop a community for for legacy. One of the projects we'll we'll talk about later. Um, it's right now. I'm at a very patient mode where I'm. Uh, it's vipassana meditation, perhaps, but I'm observing a lot. I, I'm very patient before I make any uh, critical moves. And to trying to, like you just told, I'll start a community. You know, oh, let, right. you just need to on this and that that again that's formulaic that's that maybe works generally but it's not going to work mm -hmm. in each individual uh case study so uh i think uh, true communities that are going to last uh last time and they've got to have this authentic uh soul of them that that unites people for for reasons that probably are related to passions and definitely to interests um, but those things can't be forced. I, I don't think you could even just, you could throw a ton of money at it maybe for marketing, but if people come and step inside and they, they don't really like what they see, they're not going to stick around. So I think it's, I think community building is a long-term game. If you've got long-term intentions for your community. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I mean, when, when it comes to, when it comes to, of course, new, new avenues that you've got to check, new people that you've got to see new regions that you've got to explore uh, all of that comes into comes into the space and that's one of the things that we've been learning constantly uh, wherever it comes to to any initiative but speaking of initiatives see uh, tell us a little about legacy so legacy is is a, a fully uh, web3 blockchain project um, it, it, it spawned out of uh, an, a dear old friend's um, a concept called memtel uh, which is based on, on memory telling, and his story was that uh, his father, his grandfather, who had dementia, um, was unable to communicate with any of the family. And then my friend Jono was hanging out at the old age home, showed him a couple of photographs, and that unlocked this um, sort of this, this 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 spark that that opened up the grandfather to share the story behind the photograph. So Jono would show him like, "What's this? Who was this? When was this?" and and the, the bonding experience. Uh, that had otherwise uh, uh, escaped them, I guess, their, their, their lives together. 
um, and the knowledge about the family and the roots. Um, it was it was a very special time for Jono. And a few months later, his grandfather died. And he's so grateful that he was able to extract those memories. So Jono sort of committed the last 10 years of his life to, to trying to make a venture out of capturing these, these uh, memories while people are still alive and our, our loved ones are, are here to, to share them. Um, and then at the end of 2022, I was wrapping up a sort of self-imposed sabbatical um, where I just thought, oh, I'll just focus all my time on art and music. And I wound up sitting around every morning, twiddling my thumbs, wasting time on social media, not inspired, lacking that sort of mental, mental stimulation. And then uh, Jono introduced me to Andreas, who had this concept for legacy. And with the, the memory telling of Memtel um, and my pushing Jono towards blockchain for five or six years, um, it quickly started where there's four founders, um, and then we're using the, the benefits of Web3 and, and blockchain technology to try to make this memory telling um, platform happen. And it, it's a lot more than just what you think. We, we, we've all had loved ones that have, that have passed, no doubt. Um, yeah. But you think of that whole entirety of human history for, even, for hundreds of thousands of years. And even in the last generations that people have their knowledge, their stories, their experiences, their perspectives. And then... When they pass, everything is gone with them. There's, you know, some of them maybe etch their thoughts in journals or books, but that's still on um, on materials that will fall apart from nature or be thrown out and, and that sort of thing. And it's such an opportunity at this point in history to be able to finally capture um, all of this and then to put it on a system where uh, perhaps these memories can be preserved forever. And forever, obviously... Depending on environmental, social, political, uh, natural, everything. Um, so that's what legacy is. Uh, we're officially it's about preserving memoirs forever. So the stories and the memories are, are told uh, through uh, writing and memoirs. But it's the platform is being set up to to handle all sorts of uh, media and um, related experiences, institutions, personal memoirs, professional memoirs. Well, I, I think that that's brilliant because in, in so many ways, right, the, the, it, it knits together the fabric of, of family once again. Uh, there isn't always the, op I mean, you could look through, you know, you could look through photos and um, reminisce about the time, but to be able to tell the story and have, uh, and have an audience to that story, to who connect with that. Uh, that's, of course, uh, something that, that can be preserved. The more that can be preserved, the more the more value that it has because these human stories very often get lost. They very often do. And if we look at the entirety of history, history has been written by the, the rich, the powerful and the privileged. They, 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 back in the day, they would have the resources to hire writers to tell their story and to, to share their accolades. But knowing what we know now is thinking how much of that actually is true or if they just yeah. paid their writer to make this stuff up and that all of the history that we know is, um, is, is based on that. Um, one thing on the family connection, I'm not close with my family, but this is that sort of project, which is, uh, and for, for other people in a similar situation, it's a great opportunity to reconnect with family members and to, to try to sort of bolster uh, relationships that might not otherwise be there, you know, breaking the ice with, oh, hey, who, like, let's, let's have this project together. We look through photos, share experiences and we're seeing the benefits of that 
one more point on the, on the knowledge sharing as well that um that I think is is one of the most impactful parts of legacy is okay so the the, the concept of the perma web where things are saved forever you know forever with quotes around it um, the 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 immutable nature of blockchain records so that they're tamper proof you can't edit them uh, theoretically you can't censor them although we know there's there's ways around at least blocking access to things. But uh, I'll give an example of, uh, or I'll give a couple of examples. But um, So one, one, one uh, pr- project will be around the fall of the, the, the Berlin Wall while uh, the survivors and witnesses are uh, still alive. Uh, we can do a campaign where people share their perspectives of what happened on that time, which could lead yeah. to an augmented reality, walking map, city walking tours. Um, and... Whether we agree with the perspectives or not, that's important that this person believe this, you know, what they saw or wanted to share what they saw, and that's put up. And whether we agree with those perspectives or not, it doesn't really matter. I think what matters more is that the entirety of them go up, and then we can filter and and look at related stories and um, submissions as as interest us semantically um, uh, linked together. But the, the where this is more important is if you think of milestone moments in human history. So let's say the event of the last few years in the lockdown era, um, we could say we could say what happened in two thousand and one. You could say almost almost anything that happens that right. we have a chance to record and inscribe all these perspectives of and witnesses and um, what was really happening at that time in history, and then future right. generations can assess whether you know the mainstream was right about everything or mm-hmm. maybe society was completely fooled by you know the powers that be and, and it doesn't really matter what i think about any of this stuff but it matters to me more that the truth and these perspectives are are recorded and made available for the future to make that judgment exactly i mean you know considering there are so many uh, engines that work towards I'm not going to call it just misinformation or propaganda, right? But towards creating a very different perspective, it's always better that you have a perspective that comes all around. Uh, you know, any given Sunday, it, whether whether you uh, whether you like the point of view or you don't like the point of view, it's important to have more than one uh, point of view on a topic. And it's exactly like you're saying, history is written so much by those that write them, right, or, or the victors of these uh, of these events, uh, as opposed to uh, a collective perspective, which considers what both sides had a viewpoint on. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So fair enough, but you know, so see what 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 makes me curious at this point of time is um, how do you how do you pick these projects to work on? You know, it, it's. I, I don't know if you do wake up in the morning, you know, squeeze some orange juice and say, hey, uh, you know, throw, throw a dart at something on, the, on, a, on a paper and say, hey, today, this is what I'm going to work on. Or is there more method to that matters? How do you choose the projects that you want to work on? How do I choose a project? Well, excellent question. Um, yeah, how do, yeah that, that, that's really definitely like I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm more slow and methodical now I'm a lot more patient and especially projects that I've picked over the last couple of years I mm-hmm. I wait and I wait and I listen to my to the various uh, sensations in my body for uh, any questions or concerns or if I get stressed about thinking of that idea 
then mm-hmm. there's something there's something there that I need to to look deeper into. Um, I've I'm offered interesting projects all the time. It almost feels like almost every day. And right. um, so there's there's and I just I think I'm overworked at the moment. I think I, I don't have enough time for to take more things on. So that anything yeah. that I would consider, I have to think, wow, this would be the, uh, time is the most valuable thing that any of us have. And uh, and I really have acknowledged in, uh, that in the last few years. So if if I'm it, first, it's got to be worth the time to put into it if you're going to sp- and do it, do it properly. Like, I, I don't want to take on projects that I'm, I'm sort of half committed to because I think that's mm-hmm. a waste of time for everybody. And it's depressing mm-hmm. to the self. So right. I guess it comes back to that that passion that interest um, and time. There's um, there's a lot of projects probably really cool and that could have been very successful that just because the timing wasn't right or the time put into yeah. it would be too substantial that, um, yeah, I, I don't think that it would be worthwhile to, to progress. But, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers it. That, that was an excellent question. I definitely don't throw darts at a board and say, okay, I'm going to do legacy this year. Um, <laughs> well, well, fair enough. Fair enough. I, you know, I, I, I think at some, at some point of time, I think you've, you've, um, you've learned what a lot of us uh, are still learning to do. And that's the, the ability to say no, but more importantly, I think your, your system of, of listening to your body, as you said, or uh, in, in other words, you know, trust your gut, trust your intuition, uh, it, a project has to feel right for you to commit so much time uh, and energy into it, and, and I think that 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 is what I would take away from from your method. That's right. Yeah. And again, maybe Vipassana has really helped uh, with the with that observation and being able to feel these sensations. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I I've done this thing for the last few years that I sort of like I have like a Tao vote or like a uh, it, I ask what an opinion from my brain my heart and my gut and then if if two of them are saying something or then i need to listen to that because often we follow the heart and the brain is saying no and the instinct is saying no and we go ahead and do it anyway um consequently something might seem very uh intellectually um uh, realistic, but if your heart's not in it and your instinct is, well, you know, it might be a waste of time or something like that. Um, I think that's good to at least listen to those sensations for sure and be honest with yourself. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I think I think you just activated around four chakras over there. I mean, for those of you that mm-hmm. believe in it, uh, but I'm certain between between those, yeah, I know for a fact that between those four points, there's there's four chakras you're activating if you're listening to. The, to these three, um, uh, these three inputs before you just dis- make a decision on something. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. See, uh, moving moving to uh, some of the some of the some of the input that that you shared before, right? Uh, what do you see as one of the biggest risks when it comes to these em- to emerging texts? Because you've worked on. You've worked on it from a from a whole arc, having your first computer, you know, um, inter- the UM, uh, uh, sorry, the UM and the UMFM uh, initiative that you had, uh, moving to you know uh, music in 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 what you've done, as well as now uh, the legacy project and and the few upcoming ones that that we'll we'll talk we'll scratch the surface on in in a few minutes. But 
what are some of the risks that you see and some of the dangers in emerging projects, also considering that you've been across you know, uh, multiple continents in that, to add to that perspective? Yeah, so well, that, I guess that's been one advantage is that I've, I've been able to go to six continents and, and uh, understand, I guess, some of the more pressing local issues and the reactions to technology and social systems and the state of the world. So, look, what, whatever anyone's perspective is on how the world is run and what sort of future we're, we're heading towards, right now we're at a very pivotal, sta- a pivotal stage of humanity where all these emerging uh, massive technologies are, are coming out. Uh, regulation is happening strongly, at least on uh, you know, what, what started this whole movement uh, for now, which is um, cryptocurrency, and I, I think the rest of them are going to follow suit. Um, we're seeing uh, advances in artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, and then how that's going to interact with systems like quantum computing. Um, right. So, well, the, the, the risks are, well, the abuse, abuse of power of those who, who, who create the systems uh, is the first. Um, the second is like, oh, well, there's, there's quite a lot, actually. So okay. let's say on, on, on crypto... So governments, uh, especially well here in India, the, the government is is petrified of crypto because I think they can really see its its disruptive potential. So we see yeah. these CBDCs as sort of an alternative. I think many of them will be based on blockchain. I think some of them won't be. Um, and countries are making the mistake of of doing it all themselves. Uh, there's no real like they're consulting globally, but they're you know we might have 160 different CBDCs. And we don't know if they're going to interact together or any of that. But the, the, the risk of that is that if all our cash is going to be in one of these systems and a centralized sort of government uh, control thing is that then our money can be shut off at any time. Um, and, and things like, I guess, access to, to any of this stuff, the permaweb or this, this immutable uh, content, we know that uh, DNS networks can and IPs and ISPs, our, our access can still be cut off. Um, but the, the, the biggest risk to me is in programmable bias. So that these machine learning systems, artificial intelligence systems, they get their data from whoever puts it in there. And we've seen count examples of, of bias first in society. We know it because we know from prejudice and racism and sexism um, and homophobia and, and all these things. There's, there's an inherent bias in society that's existed for um, hundreds of thousands of years through, you know, just how humanity has, has kind of evolved. But now we're, we're progressing these systems into uh, digital ruling of this. So um, yeah. with, with programmable bias as well is, um, uh, I don't know if we should get into any of uh, the examples of, yeah. Um, yeah. should, should, I, should I give some specific examples? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, so one is, so everyone's familiar with ChatGPT by now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so somebody did a test where they, they, they said, write me a, a poem about Donald Trump. Right. Write me, and and ChatGPT responded and say, no, I'm just an AI. I can't take political sides. I'm trying to be fair and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Right. Nice, great, great answer. And then, and then the person entered, write me a flowery poem about Joe Biden. And ChatGPT comes up with this, this mega long epic poem about, you know, tr- 
trampling through the daisies and light shining out of everywhere in him and stuff like that. And it's like, but what hypocrisy is that? You're telling one thing for one, you know, for one sort of person or subject matter, and then right. you're absolutely contradicting yourself for somebody else. So a political yeah. bias was was programmed into that, which is quite worrying. Wow. Um, another example, I, I, I don't know what site this was done on, but uh, if you typed professional hair into an image uh, search engine, right. and you get up, you get all these ladies with this very, you know, manicured hair, very, you know, that, that sort of politician hair where it's a little over the top. Um, and right. then you type in unprofessional hair, and then you get, you know, a whole bunch of uh, other sort of hairstyles. But the big difference is, is professional hair is Caucasian women. Mm-hmm. And unprofessional hair are African American women. So who did that? Wow. Somebody yeah. programmed that into it. Um, and yeah. another one, the thing that scares me the most, and mm-hmm. uh, has been off the radar, but the, and it, look, we're, we're we're entering a new uh, era of war in right. society. It's about to escalate. And then you think mm-hmm. of all these trillions that have been spent on, on uh, military systems. They don't well, just spend trillions to pack them away in a warehouse. They're, they're designed to be used. And so it looks like they're going to start using these things. But what's very scary is these autonomous weapon robots that yeah. are they're, they're all They're already on the streets. They're in Hawaii. Uh, they're in uh, California. They're across the U.S. They're in Israel. And they are also programmed with bias. So if you think, uh, knowing the the sort of the history of America or enough of it to know about segregation and and the the massive racism and slavery that was there, um, programmable bias means these machines are going to go around to these um, particular neighborhoods and have a different different opinion, I guess you could call it, on whether somebody is of one race or the other. Mm And the scary thing is, is that these machines have the license and the, the, the permission to shoot, to kill. And so the, the, to, that, that really scares, that, that, that really, really, really scares me. First off, we're going to have these autonomous weapons just all over the place, like drones are going to follow you. Then these robot dogs are going to hunt you down. But right. if you happen to be in like a, you know, a place where the, the bias is sort of not friendly to you, um, that's going to be that, that, that is really, really frightening to me. So, yeah. but what, what can we do about that? It, it, it would be, it would be nice for open information and open source systems and open data, but that's quite unlikely in sort of a military context as well. Well, that's, that's of course one, one part of it, but you know, so I, I know all of us maybe uh, are not designed to be programmers or, or engineers in that front. And it's, it's scary, exactly like you're saying, right? It's, it's extremely scary to, to know that um, you could have programmable bias in anything. I mean, this is, if this is uh, life-threatening, there could be other avenues may, which may not be as uh, evident. So for example, if you, know, you, you go to an ADM uh, and you may not have access to your money because your, your video, your camera, recognize you as a different person in a different place, uh, irrespective, right? And that, that is also something that would be extremely restricting to, to any group of people. Uh, 
you know, no matter what race you have or skin color or, you know, what, what hairstyle you're wearing, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's so many of these biases that are, that are coming in, you know, into, into society today uh, because we're so reliant on machines. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, uh, see, what, what do you think is some of the things that we as a society can do or should do uh, to alleviate that? I think the first thing is awareness. And um, most of the planet is very easily distracted by just the common like news, entertainment, scandals, phone notifications, paying rent, working hard enough, social obligations, hormones, all, all, all these things. Um, and then th- there's so much misinformation and hypernormalization out there that now I don't think people even know what to what to think. And and it's so it softened the blow of everything that you could have the worst uh, scandal ever come out. And we've seen a lot of big, big things uh, sort of admitted in the last few years as well. And I think people are just numb to it now. Um, right. So one, people don't really know what to think. But two is we've seen very little evidence that society is willing to stand up and, and rise and, and, and make a difference or, um, or, or really um, make changes happen. And I think that's why these things continue to happen. So this is why right now is such a critical uh, moment for humanity that before these emerging technologies come out, before the war escalates, before regulation is, is locked down on us, and um, that yeah. if there's a way to make our voices heard, if people have the connections or the influence to at least get this awareness out, I think because everything sort of starts with that. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really good start. But if you are a programmer, if you are a founder, if you are a, a leader, you have this opportunity to, to, to make the future of the world a better place by, by using your influence to, to improve the systems. And so if you're developing something, it would be good to remember the human element of it. Because sure, cash is excellent and autonomous systems are convenient if they work. But really understand the risks and dangers that if this system, especially if it was able to self-teach itself and, and, and sort of run itself, like what are the risks and dangers of what we're working on? How could they be used, abused? And, um, and why are we developing systems to be completely autonomous when at the end of the day, technology is here to enable and assist humans not to replace or um, annihilate us? So, hmm. Yeah, um, uh, 100%, 100% with you on that one, C, because, you know, uh, it is a, it is a very scary picture. And the quicker we become aware of it, the quicker we can, we, we should do something about it. I'm not going to say that, you know, we can, but we, we should do something about it to, to eliminate these biases that, that will come into a machine that's just programmed, that's given a set of rules to work on a, in a particular direction. And it has to be fair. It has to be neutral and it has to be objective because if that's not the case, then what, what are we really doing for ourselves? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, uh, interestingly though, when you, uh, when, when we, when we're having this discussion, one of the things that, that then comes to mind is, you know, you know, what what do you see? Um, what do you see this trend taking? Do you, do you do you see that we'll be able to break free from this mold? Are we, you know, just moving in 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 a direction that's going to be uh, self imploding in a sense? Uh, what are your thoughts? 
I think we still at critical mass could make could make an impact, but there's going to be a point of courage for each and every one of us out there that if we have the opportunity to do or say something, then mm-hmm. this is this might be our chance in the world that to to take that and to do it and to to take that breath and have that uh, that courage. Um, and you know, one of us alone is not going to make any impact, but in the great quantity of people could definitely make some changes before they happen. Uh, keeping in mind that there have been a lot of movements over the last 15 years to try to quash everything from the, the banking sector with the Occupy movement and Canadian truckers sure had a go this time last year, but um, media control is very strong. Um, and th- these, pa- these systems of power are, they've been set up for, for decades, if not centuries. And it's, um, they always seem one step ahead of us, probably with, with uh, they've probably been using AI and all this a lot more than, and for a lot longer. So what, what can we do? I think it just comes down, be safe, be happy, mm-hmm. live in the moment, be aware of the risks. And um, if there's a chance to, to unite, to make change, then, then mm-hmm. we can do it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm certain right now the, the listeners on the show have become aware, and I'd like to ask all the audience that are in the room and those that are going to listen to this, this podcast later as well, uh, make that change today, make a commitment, you know, raise your voice when you, when you see an issue that, that is like this. Uh, we have to do away with programmable bias. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shape the future in a way that we don't want it. That, that's for sure. Right. Um, that's right. <laughs> super okay so see uh, i know that we're coming close on time so i want to but i still want to get two questions in right so the first one is of course um what are some of the other projects that you have lined up uh, and i know that you've gotten one initiative that's that's going to be uh you know really rolled out in, in you getting people together for this tell us a little about this this new project that's coming up Okay, so th- this is related to your last two questions or your last two sort of uh, batches of questions. That so, what what can we do about this this situation? And um, so we've uh, through Goa Music Lab and a couple of international partners, um, we're creating this this collaborative art exhibition called Robots and Animals, which is peacefully, non confrontationally depicting visions of. Uh, future humanity and society uh, based mm-hmm. on where emerging technologies could go. And it could be utopian, it could be dystopian. You don't even need to, to, to express it, but you can, um, I mean, you don't need to say it specifically, but this art project, we want to see the warnings, the risks, the benefits, the conveniences, uh, the pathways to, to the future based on all this technology that's coming out. So, and how this is related to your previous question about do I throw a dartboard at, at Darted projects and stuff. This is a project that I stressed about thinking about because first off, I'm super busy, and I don't write just you know I put I put my all into my projects, and this is this is going to be this is going to be a fairly uh, big one I think, and it's going to take over the course of the year. We're going to do a prototype stage here in in um, over the next month for the the first one, and then by the end of the year we should have all of the, the the submitted artwork from around the world but my i just a stress about knowing how much work and effort it's going to be on the flip side i realized that this is my opportunity in my life to try to make an impact um in in the most peaceful and constructive way that i can 
and through my my work with legacy and my foot in the door to these major technology chains and um, uh, companies and, and the industry, I, I think that there's there is an opportunity to make a legitimate uh, social impact, and that's what's driving me to to push it. So if you're an artist or a developer or a founder um, mm -hmm. or just generally interested, the website is robotsanimals.com. The name of the campaign is Robots and Animals. We're pushing through Goa Music Lab. Um, this has sort of been a warm-up month. Um, so submissions to do with your vision of the future of humanity. And we're going to, by the end of the year, have a DAO system, a treasury that rewards the artists and participants 100%. Everything's open source and transparent. And at the same right. time, uh, helping onboard artists who are very skeptical of this technology to show them that it's not just risks and dangers and fears. There's actually a lot of benefits of them embracing technology and using things like AI's tools, not as threats. Right. And reminding programmers and developers at the same time what it means to be human through art. Okay. All right. So where, where do I go to find out more details about this? So uh, Goa Music Lab is, is excellent because we're driving it from here. Uh, for robots and animals specifically, there's a website with a, an early form at robotsanimals.com. Mm -hmm. And okay. uh, mm -hmm. No, if, if there's something else, go ahead. Well, I, was gonna, I didn't want to mention Instagram, but that's, main, that's where Goa Music Lab is mainly based at the moment. We're still waiting for Web3 successors to be mature enough to use them instead. Epic. Okay. All right. So we know where it is that we can go. Um, and, you know, please, ladies and gentlemen, check out Robots and Animals. Robot and Animals. Or is that, uh, yeah, am I saying that right? Robot and Animals. The, the project is Robots Robot. and Animals, and the domain is robotsanimals.com. Robotsanimals.com. Okay. Perfect. Great. Um, see, uh, we, we're coming to the end of the show, but there's there's two parts, uh, two more things that I, I really want to ask you. The first one is um, the technology trends that you're seeing in the space that you are, because I know that there are more more projects that you uh, will keep an eye on through this this point in the industry. Where do you see the industry moving yeah, over the next five years, six, uh, five to ten year horizon? Wow. Okay, so well, we're going through a little shakeout at the moment, um, which I think. So, like on the, if we refer everything to how the crypto market is doing, everything's going to mm -hmm. crash a bit, and then we're undoubtedly going to have another bull run at some point. Um, but I guess what that means is that while everyone's busy developing now, by that next say bull run, where it's probably going to be the first global mainstream audience adopting Web three, that's hopefully easier to log on to. That's, I think, going to be the explosion for Web3. Um, but first, we need a lot more usable apps um, and obviously easier onboarding. But once this becomes a part of everybody's lives, it's going to change. It's going to change life for everybody from a decentralized ID to storage to uh, access control to rights management to uh, reforming taxation. Um, and I think it's going to be a very exciting time. Uh, as, you know, as, as long as uh, as long as technology is used for the good and, and the rest of the, the world issues are. Um, See, I'm, I'm sorry, I think mm -hmm. I've lost sound for a second. Okay. I'm here. I hear you. Hey, there you are. I think I can hear you now. 
Okay, I don't know where I cut off there. I don't know. It must have been my 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 net connection. Uh, my team is telling me that the the sound was good. Uh, I missed that part. But if you if you shared it and the audience has heard you, then uh, yeah, that's all good. Okay. Um, okay. It's it's an amazing decade ahead. It, it truly is, and I think it, it's going to be the biggest decade of our lives to date. And it's going to be largely driven by this technology in every aspect of our lives, for better or for worse. Well, fingers crossed. Of course, every one of us is is looking forward to to exciting times ahead. My last mm -hmm. question for you before we wrap up the show, and usually I know that we have questions from the audience, but ladies and gentlemen, we're at the end of the show, so I'm going to ask you to put those questions into add Dunamai and CO2 our speaker directly, and uh, yeah, and we'll we'll take them up so we can we can send an answer back to you. But right now, uh, see what I really want to know is, what's your personal philosophy and what keeps you going? My personal philosophy. Well, to to make the most of the time that we've been gifted, it's a very special window of life, uh, an impossibility that we're any of us are here, and to learn and experience and do the best we can while we have it. Um, so that comes back to living in the moment, uh, moving towards the future that you feel in your heart is is what you want to be doing, what is safe and what you think will make you happy. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's really just time is valuable. Make the most of it. Time is valuable indeed. Uh, C, thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us today. I hope you've had as much fun on the show as I did. Yes, it was awesome. I, I'm really privileged and, and honored to be a part of the show and invited into the community. So thank you very much for having me and for everybody who's listening. See, thank you. Thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this program, to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. We will be back next week at the same time and, of course, at the same place. Don't forget to tune in to our sister show, which is The Future of NFTs, hosted by Natya Bessa, the co-founder of Adlunum. And for those of you, whichever time zone that you are, have a great day. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Diving Into Crypto, proudly hosted by Adlunum, the first engaged-to-earn platform with a proof-of-attention model and dynamic NFT investor profiles. 